0: BFM 89.9, good morning. I'm Roshan Karneson and welcome to Resource Centre, your one-stop shop for insights and strategies to help you build, grow and scale your business. Now, coming up with a good investment pitch is um, a tricky situation a lot of the time. In some ways, it's really an art form that requires the perfect balance of storytelling, data-driven insights as well as persuasive communication to entice and get the buy-in of your potential investors to invest in your company. Today on Resource Centre, we're going to be taking a look at what makes a good investment pitch and what potential investors, angel investors or even VCs look out for during a pitching session and helping me unpack this today we've got Pang Yip, he's the Executive Director at Vertex Ventures as well as Kevin Brockton, Founder and Managing Partner at Indelible Ventures. Over the course of this discussion, they're both going to help us understand how to structure a well-balanced investment. investment pitch deck what are the do's and the don'ts during a pitching session or even your pitch deck itself and what happens after the deal has been agreed in the meantime if you have any thoughts or questions you can whatsapp us on our uber number that's 018-789-8899 or you can reach out to us over on x at bfm radio kevin chani welcome to the show
1: Hey, thank, you. thank you. Thank you.
0: Kevin, good to see you in the studio again. Chani, first time. So, welcome, Kevin. Be gentle. It should be a fun conversation. Uh, before we dive into the questions and breaking down the pitch deck, um, you both occupy different. Areas of the startup ecosystem, uh, the funding pipeline. Tell us a bit about um,
1: what both your funds are looking for. Let's start, Kevin, with Indelible. Yeah, yeah. So I come earlier in the in the ch- in the chain. So we're we're looking at uh, seed stage companies. So generally, there's a MVP in the market. They have some customers on board. That generally means post revenue, but not always. They could be uh, beta or alpha customers, and so. Because of that, there's not a lot of historic data to really be analyzing. So when we're looking at companies, we're trying to get rallied around the founders themselves, number one, and then getting rallied around the opportunity that it presents. And that really comes down to storytelling. I talk about the three Ps, the people, the process and the product. The product is important, but it's not the most important because at the early stage, it's gonna change a number of times. <laughs> and like, you know Murphy's Law as well, anything that can go wrong will go wrong in the early stage. So you really need incredible people. So
0: Kevin, that's, you're much earlier in the stage. Changyeb, uh, with the Vertex, Slightly different uh, area that you're targeting, correct?
2: Yeah, that's right. So uh, actually, we do have some overlap as well because uh, we also invest in seed stage. Uh, but then the bread and butter for us is more seriously. So that means uh, you actually have a product in the market uh, and you have proven some uh, data, right, to show that your product and services is actually working in the market and is demanded by uh, your customers. So um, so for us, we actually do look more into details on uh, like, for example, traction, uh, what kind of unit economics, what kind of CAG are they actually uh, achieving, right, in order to acquire the customers. So we'll do more analysis around the market as well as the traction that the company is doing. Um Kevin, I also understand you're, you focus more on B2B, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. We're solely B2B. So that changes the types of metrics and the types of analysis that we do because consumer is a very different beast. Mm. And uh, Chinese Vertex, of course, famously uh, invest in Grab as well. So
0: you do have a consumer focus. Uh, mm. Do you have a B2B focus as well?
2: Yeah, we do. We do. In fact, we actually invest in six different verticals. Mm. So consumer, uh, fintech, and enterprise software healthcare, mobility as a sustainability. Mm. So, but if you think about it, actually any business that can scale can actually fall into these six different buckets. So we are pretty broad. Any of the day, we are a financial driven investor. So if uh, a startup has the potential to scale to become a billion dollar company, that's what we are looking for.
0: You, your growth capital, you're not looking for the early stage risk of like whether this product is going to work or not.
2: Uh, actually, we, we are more early stage as well. So we okay. are series A. So um, the company will have a product uh, in the market, but then in terms of the revenue traction Relatively okay. early, hmm. so um, so, and then we do actually have a sister fund called the Vertex Growth that can actually go in and invest in Series B, Series C uh, when the company is actually scaling up uh, a little bit faster.
0: Uh, of course, I spoke to your your uh, your colleague, uh, general partner, Carmen UN, mm. uh, a few months back when the, uh, you guys launched a new fund. So if anyone wants to listen to that and what Vertex is looking at in the market, you can just look up Vertex Ventures on the BFM app or look up, uh, I think it was uh, Enterprise Explorers and uh, look up for that podcast. Now, let's get into the main story today, which mm. is about the pitch deck. So we're going to break this down into during the pitching, the building your pitch deck, uh, the process of pitching your company and of course, what comes after. Uh, in your respect, views and Kevin we will start with you because both mm. of you are going to have different views of what's important in the pitch deck. What do you think uh, makes a compelling pitch deck from a not compelling pitch deck?
1: Yeah, so I, I actually kind of sit on both sides of the fence, because mm. when I'm making an investment decision, it's quite different. But then I'm actually trying to help our portfolio companies craft their pitch so mm. that they mm. can then graduate to somebody like a Vertex. Uh, and hopefully that'll be coming soon. I'll pitch you on that later. Um, but when when we're looking at actually getting into a deal, so I'll, I'll focus on that part of it, is... You know, the pitch deck has a particular intention. It's trying to get me to want to know more and ask questions. So my biggest complaint about pitch decks when I receive them is that they can have a tendency of being information overload where they're just trying to put every single piece of information and data that they have onto onto a handful of slides and to be honest with you if you look at the data around how much time vc spend looking at pitch decks especially if you email it it's maybe 2 minutes mm. and so if i'm going to go through 15 slides that have an entire narrative on every single slide it's just not going to happen so the key aspect that most that founders need to get around is how to be concise That is the critical thing. And I tell every founder that you need to be able to boil down every slide to basically a single bullet point because you're trying to capture a single message out of each slide and think of it as a storyline is each bullet point leading into the next and capturing the story. The order may not be the same for every company because you need to play to your strengths. If you're if you're really strong on on an incredible team and you're doing something deep tech, you're doing something heavily research focused, lead with the team. If you're doing something that's an incredible, you know, uh, market-changing, you're going to be a category creator. Lead with that. Mm. But the story needs to be concise and it needs to encourage me to get excited and want to start asking questions because it's in those questions where the, the value starts being created. They've got to hook you first. They've got to hook you with a story that appeals to you and then you'll be like, okay, let's talk more about all the data-centered Ex- exa- so Exactly. To you, exactly. The story, the founders are yeah. really important. The founders are incredibly important and I think if I, if I was to make up a statistic, I'd say that 90% of <laughs> of founders don't put enough attention on the on the team slide they don't put enough attention into that because you know if you're doing later stage Quality team is basically table stakes and you can look at the d- data and the track record and say, okay, this represents the quality of the team, but we don't have track record. And so we need to be able to look at who these founders are and what their background outside of this company is because, mm. you know, six months of track record, one year of track record within, within a startup is not enough for me to say, are these the founders that can take it 10 years? Yeah. Uh, Chanyeol, what
0: uh, what distinguishes uh, a compelling versus a
2: non-compelling uh, mm. pitch to you? Yep, yep. Uh, actually, for for us, right, I think um, what is important is the entrepreneurs should be able to explain why the products or services that they are actually producing will be in high demand in the market. So to us, uh, that's very important. So the question would be, what is the opportunity? Where do you see the market gap? And how are you addressing the problem that you see in the market? Mm -hmm. So those three things will be quite important. And typically for a very successful startup, um, there is two elements. right? One is that you either actually addressing an unmet demand in Mm -hmm. the market, or you're actually addressing an existing need, but in a much better way. Uh, like, for example, for uh, for instance, we invested in Grab when uh, they were still very early stage, they were still a Kuala Lumpur-based company. So the difference here was a hailing a cap on the road mm. versus using an application, right? So it's like a 10x increase in terms of the improvement. So we are looking for this type of, uh, you know, uh, opportunities in the market that we think that there's going to be a tipping point whereby consumers or enterprises will actually tip towards the startup rather than the incumbents. So understanding what's the status quo is actually quite important. And we want to contrast that against what the startup is doing. You're looking for people who understand what they're getting into and Mm. have found an actual
0: problem with a big uh, upside to it, I guess. Exactly. yeah, in a bit, we'll get into some of the common pitfalls that you've both seen, some clear examples in terms of what not to do, I guess, in a pitch deck. Uh, mm-hmm. But first, we've got to go into a few messages. Folks, today on Resource Centre, have been we we're going to be looking at what makes a good investment pitch and what potential investors or VCs are looking for during the pitching session and what comes after all this as well. Helping me unpack this has been Kevin Brocklin, founder and managing partner at in Indelible Ventures, as well as Punk Chan-Yip. He's the executive director at Vertex Ventures. This is Resource Centre. I'm Roshan Karnasin. Keep it here at BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station. Birkins for Mama, BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station. We have M89.9. Welcome back to Resource Centre, your one-stop shop to help you build, scale and manage your business. I'm Roshan Karnasin and today I've been speaking with Kevin Brocklin, founder and managing partner at Indelible Ventures as well as Pang Chan Yip, executive director at Vertex Ventures. And we've been talking about um, what's going to make a good investment pitch if you're a founder, what potential investors and VCs are looking out for during the pitching session and if we've got time, what comes after you've secured a deal. Um, Kevin, Johnny. Earlier, we we got a little bit of a sense for what you both think makes a compelling deck versus an uncompelling one. Um. I guess to really highlight this point, let's talk about some of the common pitfalls that founders should avoid in their pitch next. I think, Chanib, let's go with
2: you on this one first. Sure. So um, I think some of the entrepreneurs, uh, they tend to be quite technical. Mm. So they like to go into a lot of uh, tech elements, right? Uh, but then what is actually more important is to sell the benefits rather than the technical details. So you can talk about the technical details later, but sell the benefits first. So I think this is uh, something that's quite common amongst more technical background founders, right, whereby they really uh, enthusiastically wants to explain what's the tech, uh, tech element they have in the product. Uh, then the other thing that I see that some of the founders uh, have some uh, challenges is also like in terms of using a lot of jargons. Mm. Uh, and some of these jargons uh, investors may not know uh, because <laughs> investors, they themselves, sometimes they won't know every yeah. single sector uh, in the world. So they also need to Uh, Learn from the entrepreneur first, then eventually go out and then do their own study by either meeting with more competitors or actually doing desktop research. So these are the things that we do at the back end that uh, some of the entrepreneurs do not see. I I guess you also have to know the person that you are pitching to, right? Because Mm. if someone is maybe uh, a fund that only
0: focuses on this particular area of tech, maybe you can include more technicalities. But if you're you're pitching to a generalist, then you're going to need to be make it more human. Right, You're going to have to break it down in a way that is understandable by most people. Uh, anything else you want to highlight there?
2: Yeah, so I, I think pretty much you are right. Uh, what you mentioned over there, um, know who you are speaking to, mm-hmm. um, what's the background, uh, especially for certain funds, right? Take, for instance, uh, they may not invest in certain sectors. Uh, and uh, if you are... As an entrepreneur, if you are pitching to them, you may be wasting your time uh, because <laughs> you, probably of, uh, getting investment from that particular fund is not high. So you need to do some background checks on the investor first to really know that these are the sectors that they are more comfortable in investing. Um, and then if they are not comfortable in investing in certain sectors, then uh, why not you just deprioritize them and then... Yeah, do it later.
0: Right. So if I have a consumer product, I don't go to Kevin, for example. <laughs> we do not do that. So Kevin, common pitfalls that you've seen founders making their pitch
1: decks. So, so I like, I like the I like the ones that Chen Yup just just said because I, I've definitely encountered those uh, the, on the technicality standpoint. Like most VCs are not that technical, so you got to know your audience. Um, a couple of the other ones I, I mentioned earlier: information overload, not prioritizing the team slide. One of my biggest pet peeves is the market size, mm. <laughs> because people do these ridiculous sort of graphics talking about this massive total addressable market, what we call TAM, and then how, what's the, what are they actually going to obtain out of this? And they usually they throw out a flat percent, somewhere between one and 10 percent. And the numbers have absolutely no basis in reality more often than not. Whereas, you know, I was I was doing a, an example when we were, chat, when we were chatting mm-hmm. prior of, you know, if you're a construction tech and you're going to create a software in order to better manage construction, they'll throw up a market size and they'll do the entirety of the spend of construction where it's the building materials, it's the labor, it's global this, global that. And that's not the software. That's not your addressable market. How much are they spending on software? I'd much rather see somebody do a bottom up Uh, market sizing as opposed to a top-down that has zero basis in reality. At least if you do bottom-up, I look at it and I'm like, okay, you did some analysis. You understand who are the players. You understand actually the numbers of uh, target customers in your geographies that you're going after. But man, I look at that slide and I'm like, <laughs> next. That's that's probably like a half a second if I if I see something like that that I'm going to spend on that. Um, just to follow up with that, what what would a bottoms up analysis look like? So let's take construction tech uh, yeah. again. You you'd basically look at it and you say, okay, we're going after the massive large uh, construction companies. You'd count how many number of their, them there are within the different geographies, and you'd say, okay, well, there's X number in Australia, there's X number in Singapore, X number in Indonesia x number in malaysia so on so on so on and then you would start trying to break it down in regards to what can you actually tackle what is the sales cycle you can look at it from a number of different standpoints depending upon what the product is but you're trying to get a get some sort of estimate estimable count of how many customers there are and then backing into how much would they spend on this product if software if software for that industry is say hundred thousand dollars a year then you find that there's 100 out of your geography and boom, 100 times uh, 100,000 and there's your market size. Actually, if I may
2: add yeah, something. Um, one good way to really quickly estimate uh, market size, right, is really look at the incumbents. Uh, how much mm. revenues are they doing? And then you sum it up, uh, all the incumbents revenue that will actually give you a very high level market sizing Mm. and you as a startup if you are doing a product that's slightly different more differentiated or maybe you bring down the cost that have the potential to expand the market Mm. Uh, but that's it it will be in the ballpark number that uh, you know in terms of summing up all the Competitors that you have in the market that will give you a good number to start off with. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So I, I wonder
0: sometimes whether there's the, a little bit of financial engineering that goes on with the TAM and SAMing, right? Mm. So for example, you said you you brought up uh, Kevin, you brought up the example of I'm looking at the whole construction sector. When really yeah, yeah, I yeah. should be looking at software mm. spend. So it's people are going, okay, I need to. I can say I can get one percent of the of a market. So what market can I say yeah, I'm yeah. going after? So sometimes it, f- it can feel like that. Oh,
1: and and there's a bit more to it, especially when you're talking about like at the early stage, Mm. because at the early stage, the product that you have today is probably not going to be the same product that you have in two years, five years time, to be honest with you. So whatever the market slide that you throw up is going to be drastically different than when you you end up getting down the road, because you're Mm. going to go down this winding path of perhaps pivoting, changing, market expansion, geographic expansion. The intention out of trying to put that forward is not necessarily here's an exact science of what it's going to be. It just needs to get me excited enough that there's an opportunity. And in all honesty, is it 100% necessary to throw in it at an early stage? Maybe not if you tell the rest of the story well enough and get me excited about how the tailwinds, the changes in technology, the different factors that are driving the market let me use my imagination maybe find the right problem and story
0: tell it well mm. and make sure you've uh, got the right people who you can tell uh, the investors going along on this journey with you um let's talk about the the ideation phase of creating a pitch deck uh, we talked a little bit about the common mistakes and you know what what you guys focus on communication though is super important how you communicate with investors whether you're doing the pitch deck or doing the actual pitching uh what's essential here uh for the board of you in order for a story to really resonate with you or to be communicated
2: well uh Jenny? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, actually, if uh, there is one pitch deck that I would urge entrepreneurs to take a look at, it will be Airbnb's uh, initial mm. uh, pitch deck. So um, uh, that's a framework that, that you can use. And then the framework is actually pretty simple, right? You start with uh, what's the problem statement. Then you go into what's the solution that you're actually creating in the market. And then you talk about how big the market is, right? And then show some early data uh, to prove that the products that you're putting out right now uh, actually have some demand in the market. And then you can talk about the competitive landscape and importantly, Um, what's your competitive advantage in this uh, busy marketplace? Because as a startup, you need to stand out. You can't be just uh, another run of the mill company, right? So that's pretty important. Then you can talk about the business model and the go-to-market strategy. So once you have uh, this, um, all the key points that I mentioned just now, you're pretty much about 80% or 90% there in terms of the pitching. And then it it really depends on the investor whether they are interested or not to have a follow-up conversation with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, But by and large, I think if you touch on the eight key points, that that should be enough
0: in terms of communicating with you though uh, Jenny, how what is the preferred mechanism because i guess mm. you get a lot of emails as well maybe yep. you get door stopped here and there <laughs> is there a, uh, is, there a is, no, is there a ideal ideal way to be communicated too
2: yeah i think um firstly uh, definitely we'll start off with uh, email or WhatsApp yeah. so you can send over the pitch deck then for us to refer to the pitch deck first. Um, so the pitch deck is really important, right? So essentially, it will communicate what's the opportunity mm. that you're going after. Right. So mm. if uh, once we see the pitch deck, we are interested, we'll definitely reach out to you mm. uh, because for us uh, as investors, what we are always looking out for is uh, potential startups that can scale. Mm. So if we understand the opportunity by reading the pitch deck, then uh, we will be definitely interested to right. reach out.
0: And this goes back to the eight points you brought up earlier yes. in the process. Right. What makes that good pitch, uh, Kevin? For you, and uh, what is important when it comes to the communication part of it?
1: Yeah, so I, I agree on everything on the on the on the pitch deck part. So maybe I take a little bit of a different angle mm-hmm. here and say, you know, the challenge around pitching is that it has a tendency of biasing towards the extrovert, somebody mm-hmm. that has the natural gift of gab, yeah. uh, the salesman type. Uh, whereas, you know, there, there's there's a, there's a bit there's a bit of like a mix here because when I get somebody that is just too good at selling, <laughs> my, my red flag radar starts coming up, and I'm like, what sort of lemon car you uh, you know are you trying to sell me here Uh, so it gets me like my extra suspicion starts coming out Mm -hmm. but on the flip side of it there is signaling effect that comes from the quality of communication because I'm not only judging the opportunity I'm also judging the founder themselves and so there's an aspect of when you're a founder you're basically wearing every hat in the early stage you're founder-led sales you're having to recruit when you can't pay real salaries you're paying next to nothing and And so you have to convince people to jump onto this, hopefully, rocket ship with you. (laughs) And so you're constantly having to be essentially selling in a variety of different circumstances. So people need to practice that sort of messaging. And when I mentor other sorts of activities with early stage founders, I tell them that they need to try and record themselves on a Zoom or a video or whatever, record their audio, practice it over and over, share it with some of your friends, get some close contacts to help and just iterate on it the same way that you iterate on your product you're going to have to iterate on your on your pitch and the more that you practice it then it becomes kind of ingrained into you so that when you do need to tailor it for the audience it's so ingrained into you you know it so well you've practiced it you've rehearsed it that you can kind of ad-lib a little bit to tailor it to the message um, so there's there's a bit of theater um, mm-hmm. <laughs> to it. On that note, during the the presentation part mm-hmm. of it, do's and don'ts. Don't lie, <laughs> don't exaggerate, uh, because everything is going to be fact-checked down the road. And if you exaggerate, if you lie, that's basically going to burn bridges, because mm. what ends up happening? You start calling up some of your other investor buddies that you know, you start calling other founders that you know, and you reference check. Mm. And if one of those comes up that this guy was putting out a whole bunch of BS, that's basically like, you know, this, the stamp of never coming back.
0: And you've burnt not just one bridge, you've burnt multiple bridges because in your circles, um, sometimes reference checking with each other is a really important part of the process. Absolutely.
1: It's okay to say no as well. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Sorry, it's okay to say I don't know. Yeah. Because... You know, a VC is going to come up with all kinds of questions because it's a differentiated point of view with a whole variety of differentiated experiences. So if I ask a question to a founder and they actually don't know, I'd much rather them say, I don't know, but let me get back to you. And then a couple hours after that meeting, boom, I get an email with a d- with an explanation. That to me is more valuable than somebody just making stuff up on the fly.
0: Chanya, uh, on your end, essentials, essential do's and don'ts during the presentation process itself?
2: Yeah. So I think um, it's definitely very important for the entrepreneurs to prepare. So like what mm. Kevin said, uh, not just in terms of Look pitching, in the mirror, practice, yeah, record practice, yourself. Exactly. But not just that, right? It's also understanding the details of the business. Mm. So when we ask you what's the profit margin, mm. uh, what's the cost of customer acquisition, uh, and all this uh, unique economics detail, you got to have it at your fingertip uh, so that you, know, you 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 come across as someone that's credible when you speak about your business so that gives confidence to the investor that you know what you're talking about so i think that is a really important element right uh, that some of the entrepreneurs, they do not pay attention to. So I will urge them to really go, go down and practice and then remember the numbers.
0: So there are some questions which are okay to say, I don't know, so mm. but I don't know, which is- Not, yeah, the, not the fundamental matters. <laughs> yeah, not, not, not your <laughs> margins, not your the things that you should know about yeah, your business. The, the
1: fundamentals, if you don't know those, <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or if you have to look up to your slide to double check. So those some numbers. random sort of how does this fit in with this competitor that's in some completely different part of the world? Mm. Yeah, you mm. may not know. So- when it's
0: Bit of a bigger picture, picture question or something that's going off the, the trail that you're on, mm-hmm. it's fine to say, we'll get back to you on mm-hmm, that. Exactly. But your basic stuff, your fundamentals of the business, this so called uh, opportunity that's present and the end of the day, the returns that can be made, these are the kind of things that you should
1: know. It's a signaling. If you don't know the fundamentals, you should be living and breathing this. Like most founders look at their bank account multiple times a day just because <laughs> there's a limited amount of cash that they're, that they're dealing with. You should be looking at a lot of these fundamental metrics on a very frequent basis because you live and breathe and die mm. by a lot of the fundamentals. So outside of uh, saying, I don't know, doing the tough questions part of it, questions
0: are, as you said, Kevin, are going to be part and parcel of that pitching session during the presentation, because one, the founders going to if he's going to bet on you, he's going to want to know a bit more. Maybe some of the things that are a bit off the beaten track. Uh, sometimes you may have to get back to them. Generally speaking, during the session, how should you engage or manage that? What What are you looking for in terms of answers that the founders provide back to you, uh, Jani?
2: Yeah. So I think um, founders. I think when they approach investors, right. Um, they can look at us more like a peer or a business partner Mm. uh, rather than thinking of like someone you want to pitch to. Mm. So uh, at the end of the day, we need to have a conversation um, and then have a discussion around the business. But what's also more important is that we want to know what's your... Uh, motivation right that you start this company so what really uh, keeps you awake at nine uh, <laughs> what's a personal life uh, like because we want to know you as a friend uh, as a business partner so um, so for an entrepreneur when they come and pitch to us think of us more like a, a friend that you try to um, to get closer with <laughs> uh, and you want to build up the foundation uh, and with that then you'll be able, able to you know get closer to the investor then try to understand what exactly are they looking for and they will give you tips along the way that these are the things that i would like to see in the business kevin anything you want to add to that
1: Yeah, I I think I would just extend on that same point, because, I mean, when you're talking about investing, uh, venture capital is a very long haul game. And so it's it's largely about relationship building. You're underwriting people, especially at the earlier stages. And so you need to invest some time into building those relationships and try and demonstrate what that working relationship is going to end up being like, because... Not everyone's going to take a board seat, but that investor is going to want to get updates. You're going to be interacting. You want to try and extract as much non-capital value from that investor as humanly possible as well, because they have networks and knowledge, etc. cetera. And so you want to try at the early stages before when you're still pitching, work on the relationship, get to know each other, develop those bonds of trust mm. and get them excited about you and your business.
0: And I think we're going to talk a little bit more about that relationship building element mm-hmm. in a few minutes. Uh, folks, you've been listening to Resource Center, your one-stop shop for tips and tactics to build, scale and manage your business. I'm Roshan Karnasen and today I've been speaking with Pang Chan-Yip, Executive, Di- Executive Director at Vertex Ventures, as well as Kevin Brocklin, Founder and Managing Partner at Indelible Ventures. And we've been talking about the uh, how to build a presentation, how to build a pitch deck if you're a founder, how to present that pitch deck and of course that relationship with the uh, investors that you're looking at, which we will talk about in a few minutes. I'm Roisin Karnasen. This is Resource Center. We'll be back in just a bit. So keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Break from monotony, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9. I'm Roisin Karnasen and welcome back to Resource Center, your one-stop shop for tactics and strategies to help you build, manage and scale your business. This morning, we've been exploring what it takes to build an uh, a a compelling pitch deck, uh, what you need to be doing during the presentation session and of course, managing the relationship after the deal is done and helping me with this has been Pang Chanyeb. He's the Executive Director at Vertex Ventures as well as friend of the show, Kevin Brocklin, Founder and Managing Partner at Indelible Ventures. Um, Earlier, gents, we were talking about um, you know, that there needs to be a little bit of balance in your pitch deck between the amount of story and the amount of data. How do you, what do you see as the right balance there given how early this can be sometimes? Kevin? Seeing the balance between between how much data you put yeah, on your slide I versus or oh, how much how, how much data you talk about yeah, 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 versus yeah, yeah. that story,
1: this is the founders, that sort of thing. You know, it, it it depends which which stage you're talking about, and it depends upon the company mm-hmm. and and the product that you're going after. But generally speaking, when when we look at uh, potential investments, it's so early stage that there's not a lot of data. So the only data that you can start throwing up there is market data. And I said earlier about my pet peeve. (laughs) about drawing non-relevant market data. So you need to make sure if you're going to use data, use it sparingly and make sure that it's illustrating the point that you're trying to get across. But the reality of the early stage, for the most part, is that you're trying to build enough compelling out of the story. So the storyline is the number one thing. If you think about it like... You could you could actually draw a graph because in the in the in the earliest stages, the thing that matters the most is the storytelling mm-hmm. and the numbers don't really matter so much because they're just aren't there. But as you go along the pathway, the the story starts meaning a little bit less and the numbers start meaning a lot more because the numbers become the story. The, as, as you progress along, because that's the historic track record, that's the demonstration of where you're going and all of that, and the, the aspect of the story becomes table stakes. But in the early stage, you really need to nail the story that you're trying to tell. And if you're going to use data, make sure that it's relevant and use it sparingly, because otherwise you're just demonstrating that you may not actually understand uh, what you're trying to do. Which is,
0: uh, you don't understand the opportunity is out there, which is something for you, Chandi, you mentioned earlier, understanding that opportunity and the problem is essential. Um, What do you see as the right balance between data and story?
2: Yep. So, so for us, we invest like um, usually one stage after mm. where Kevin invests uh, because we are more age driven. Mm. Uh, though opportunistically, we will also invest in six stage. So we have the good fortune of having a bit more data mm. uh, in order to do our analysis. So um, I think what is the right balance, right, is that um, it depends on the type of business. So you need to know what metrics is actually relevant to your business. And then you need to talk through the metrics to us. Uh, like for example, if you look at a company like Meta or Facebook, uh, user engagement will be one important metric, right? So you need to look as an entrepreneur for your business, you need to understand what metrics actually the equivalent of that uh, for your particular business. Mm. Then after that, help us to understand why that metric is important. So um, what will be the right balance? You just need to have the key metrics that's important to the business. Then the rest of it, if it's required by the investor, we will actually ask you in the follow-up calls. So the key metrics
0: that will make or break your- business essentially mm. that's what you want to be talking about at the stages where people are talking to you at vertex ventures um we talked uh, or a little bit about the importance of building that relationship and that uh once you've you know once you've gotten the buy-in of the investor or the vc um it's also important to build that rapport uh, and uh and i think heaven the way you put it was also you know other ways to extract the non-capital the non monetary yeah, yeah, value yeah. <laughs> out of the, the vcs um how, I guess how what goes into that building that relationship and that rapport because I know we're going to sound make it sound that like we're trying to engineer it and it becomes a bit fake but yeah, yeah. you know okay. from your respective experiences you know what goes a long way um, in establishing that relationship uh, chan
2: Yeah so so I think um, I, I mentioned earlier that uh, investors may not know 100% of everything or all the industry right so um, having like proper conversations with the investor to really uh, help them to level up in terms of the market knowledge uh, what's the market opportunity and then just uh, having coffee chats right I think that will actually go quite a long way uh, to establish the relationship then time to time um, you know you may want to update the investors that okay this is the metrics that I'm doing uh, maybe after six months, uh, after the first meeting, right? you may want to continuously uh, update the investor and then engage them. Uh, but if the investor is really interested, typically they will also want to have this conversation mm-hmm. with you. So you actually take the cue from the investor as well to, to really understand what's the interest level and uh, try to gauge that. Uh, at, at some point, you may want to ask the investor, you know, is this something that you want to do? Uh, and if not, then maybe we can do a quick uh goodbye, right, so that we, we, we can make use uh, of both person's time more effectively. Mm. So I think for an entrepreneur, uh, feel free to go out and ask the investor whether they are interested or not. Typically, you'll get an answer. Um, Kevin, uh, is there anything you'd like to add to
0: that, particularly given the more B2B nature of what you invest in as well?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I, I, I oftentimes liken the process of fundraising to enterprise sales because enterprise mm. sales has these long cycles oh, to that's them. that's a good example. <laughs> and in order to effectively manage your time, you're going through the process of developing your a set of leads. Then you're trying to qualify those leads and going through essentially like a funnel. And so I tell founders that they need to think of it in a similar sort of manner. The big thing is that middle of funnel has a tendency of being very much so on the nurturing phase. And that that's where a lot of the relationship building starts happening because that's the area in which you're moving them uh, closer and closer towards conversion. <clears throat> now when you think about funds and when you think about the stages that companies go through, there's a number of funds that will operate in different uh, size quantities, coming down to Series uh, Series A, maybe doing opportunistically in a seed, or somebody that's a multi-stage fund, or you know maybe you're very early, and you just crossed over, put your MVP in the market, so the seed investor could be interested but needs a little bit more traction. Uh-huh. So there's an aspect of trying to get that level of attention and start 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 developing that relationship earlier rather than later and you know, put them on an email drip campaign where you're starting to put out some of the, <laughs> it, it sounds bad to say no, it, no, but no, it, it's so apt, it, it, it is what you're doing right it's it customer is. acquisition strategy yeah. Ex- exactly, uh, it's invest the investor acquisition strategy, acquisition in. strategy. Yeah. so like you're developing the relationship and periodically you're calling to meet for coffee, you're you're hopping a flight, you're going to be in Singapore, so you start messaging everyone that you know that's there hey you want to meet for coffee, um, let's do a happy hour, let's do this, let's do that whatever the case may end up being, in the Interim, because this may be a six month cycle between when you're starting the relationship versus when you're ready to try and actually start closing, um, you're sending out maybe monthly updates that are on your target list that is, say here's the awesome stuff that we did. We just landed this awesome customer. Our MRR is now 30,000. Then a couple of months later, you're like, our MRR has now jumped. We're 80,000. That's a $1 million annual run rate. We're doing phenomenal. I'm going to be back in town. Uh, let's meet. Up. And so it's kind of keeping you a little bit top of mind and it's showing some of those uh, progressions towards goals. And a lot of it is, you know, building that awareness. Capital, it's a very competitive market in yeah. order to get capital. The majority of companies are going to hear no more oftentimes than they hear yes. And the graduation rate from one series to the next is is not favorable you've got a probably a better chance a, a, f- a friend of mine made the, made this joke he said you've got a better chance of getting accepted into Harvard business school than following the vc pathway <laughs> Because it's, it's, it's very hard and you see more companies than you say yes to. It's an outlier business. It's very competitive. It's very difficult. And so you want to try and maximize your odds. And part of that is, is playing the relationship aspect of mm-hmm. it, keeping them apprised of the fact that you're succeeding. Because if you don't, you have to restart that conversation every single time that you do a point of contact. Fundamentally, you also have to, you can't be afraid of no. Right. You yeah, to, yeah, yeah, definitely you know, If I'm going down to Singapore and I'm just
0: texting a bunch of people, but I don't do it because I'm afraid someone's going to say no to me, then you're 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 done, right? I think that's a pretty big uh, not your strength. Maybe you need to bring someone on who's more sales oriented or marketing oriented who can go out yeah. and build that drip campaign for you to to
1: resonate. Uh, it's a it's a long tail funnel in a lot of ways. If you're not a glutton for punishment, you shouldn't be a stunner <laughs> pounder. You know, you're you're, you're getting you're getting beat up on basically oh, a daily man. basis. It's not an easy life. To wrap up. Um, <laughs> failure is going to be a big part of this
0: journey um, you're going to fail in the pitches you're going to fail in getting a deal you're going to fail sometimes you're going to make mistakes that are going to jeopardize the deal um, what kind of advice would you like to give to founders in this space especially given how uh, the rates the way they are uh, what kind of advice do you want to emphasize to them uh, as they fail along this journey
2: yeah sure so um, yeah I think facing rejection during a pitching session can be quite disheartening (laughs) Um, but it's also important to view it as an opportunity to learn uh, and then take a step forward to improve right so um, so I think one useful thing would be really to speak to the investor uh, to understand their point of view where are the things that can be improved on the business Uh, I think that will be one uh, good Thing or good practice for entrepreneurs to, to do but don't take every single word that the investor say as Bible. Mm. Um, that's also very important <laughs> because uh, you need you as an entrepreneur you need to be able to synthesize uh, what's actually good for your company. So I think that filter in on its own is actually quite important. Uh, but coming back Uh, You actually Mm. need to remember that rejection is actually part of the entrepreneurial journey. Uh, It's quite normal. Mm. Uh, But do keep the investors actually posted because uh, we also understand that things change, right? Every three to six months, uh, the things that you build, you may pivot uh, along the way. So um, we'll be interested to keep engaged Mm. uh, to really understand what the entrepreneur is building. And we try to help as much as possible. So even if you don't get funding, uh, there is other ways that investors can help you. So they may be able to introduce you to their fellow investors that may have interest in that particular area. So um, yeah, just keep the relationship mm. warm. At some point down the road, I think uh, they could be helpful to you there
0: are ripple effects there are other things that can happen just because one person said no to you uh doesn't mean that someone else is going doesn't mean that everyone's going to say no uh, also that uh importance that you got to have conviction in what you're doing otherwise mm. it's going to be a very even more difficult journey than it already is kevin your advice on this part
1: yeah so I, I think i'll build off the comment that i made earlier in regards to it just being an extremely difficult you know rejection is a portion of it you need to focus on the why you why now And, you know, especially for startups here in Malaysia, Malaysia is too small of a market in order to have very strong domestic funding uh, availability. And so that ends up creating this situation where a large amount of the funding has to come from overseas, generally regional funds. Most of them are based out of Singapore, but you also see some coming out of different countries. And so if you recognize that, you also have to recognize that you're now competing against the opportunity set that those investors have in a much wider variety of markets. And so it's not enough to say, I'm going to be the best in my home market. You have to have this grand vision and you have to demonstrate why you are better than the opportunities that they are seeing throughout the region. And that is a mentality shift that I think more founders need to take account of, that you're not competing in a small pond, you're competing in the ocean. Um, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today.
0: It's been a pleasure speaking to both of you. And I hope it's only a matter of time before we have uh, we group, bring this group back together. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Folks, I've been speaking with Kevin Brocklin, founder and managing partner at Indelible Ventures, as well as Pang Chan-Yim, executive director at Vertex Ventures. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can catch the podcast on the BFM app. Uh, that's the BFM app on whatever app store that you're using. Our shows are also available on your regular uh, podcast app, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts or whatever you may be using. Just look up for Resource Center. Uh, make sure it's by BFM. I'm Richard Kennison, Keep it here to BFM 89.9, The Business Station.